Welcome everyone. This is the Gold Standard Movement. My name is Rico Cunningham and I'm here on a very special day. I'm here with a very special guest on our podcast and uh, YouTube channel today. Uh, a little bit first, what we do here is share information about things that we believe are great investments. We're not financial advisors here, uh, but we do share great information and we have some great information coming uh, right next. Uh, so today I have the chairman of the board and CEO of Gold Royalty Company. Uh, Mr. David Garofalo is uh, visiting with us tonight and he's going to share some great information with us. Good evening, Mr. Garofalo. How are you this evening? I'm Rico. How are you? I'm excellent, excellent, and uh, certainly uh, glad to have you here with us tonight. I know you're going to share some great information about the gold mining industry, and you're going to talk about uh, what gold royalties are all about. So could you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yes, I've been in the mining industry for over 30 years, uh, principally in mine development and operating roles. I helped build uh, several large cap companies in the gold and the base metal side. I've been involved in the construction of 15 mines in my career, and uh, I've operated countless more in various C-suite roles, CEO, CFO, um, really enjoy the industry. And I think we're in a very important part of the cycle for gold. I think we're in for a long run, and I'm very excited at this stage in my career to kind of switch gears a little bit and gone from an operating role to actually running a royalty company, which provides capital to developers and operators to build mines and takes royalties back. So it's a bit of a different perspective, but still quite integral uh, to help build new mine capacity in both the base and precious metal side. So you, you actually have a background in mining. Uh, I, I was looking at a little bit of, of your uh, history for over 30 years, you've been in this business. Uh, so you, you took uh, Gold Corp uh, and sold it to Newmont. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because you just mentioned uh, taking that company over. Yeah, so uh, I ran Gold Corp for about three and a half years, and we merged it with Newmont. It's the largest merger in the gold industry that's ever occurred, $32 billion combination of two companies, creating what today is the world's biggest gold company by production and market cap. Wow. Wow. And and I actually owned Newmont. I did own some Newmont. Don't, don't own any anymore. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, on this channel, we are more cryptocurrency focused and we, we share a lot of information about Bitcoin and blockchain and technology and, and things like that. Um, tell, can you tell me a little bit how do you feel about uh, the crypto side of things before we dive into gold? Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I think digital currencies are here to stay. Um, you know, blockchain has become an, an integral part of our economy and it's driving efficiencies in terms of procurement and, and other platforms, which really cuts up the middleman, reduces transaction costs. And you look, you need digital currencies in order to transact on the blockchain. And, and so I think cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Um, uh, you know, it's really a question of valuation. Where, where is the right valuation? And I think the reason we've seen so much capital uh, flee into the cryptocurrency market is because you know, younger investors are looking for a way to preserve capital. And they're looking for a store of value because they're concerned about the undermining of fiat currencies. You know, our paper currencies have been printed with reckless abandon. We've seen money supply increase dramatically. We're seeing evidence of that now in inflation. We're seeing 40-year highs in inflation. 
And so, you know, uh, young investors are rightly looking for places to safeguard their capital in an environment where interest rates on a real basis are very, very negative right now. Right. Inflation is insidious. It's eating away at capital. And they're looking for ways to protect their capital. And so they're looking at digital currencies, I think, increasingly as a way to protect that capital. And and I think that is, is um, an interesting perspective. But I would say that cryptocurrencies unfortunately don't have any barriers to entry. There's There are many ways to create digital currencies, whereas gold has been a store of value for four millennia. You know, it, it's very finite in quantity. There's very little bit uh, on the earth's surface. Uh, it's very difficult for us to produce more. So we can't just create more gold, even in a higher gold price environment. So I think ultimately gold is the best store of value um, in an inflationary environment like we're experiencing right now. But I certainly understand the sentiment that young investors have uh, towards cryptocurrencies. Absolutely, you know, inflation's at 7.1% now. And uh, what, what I like to inform, you know, at least the audience is listening to our podcast and our YouTube channel is that this is something that we need to pay attention, especially if you don't have any access to assets, you know, any kind of asset, you know, if you just have cash, then you might have a problem. Uh, so what, what can, uh, gold royalty do for people that are looking for an opportunity uh, to get exposure to gold? Well, look, I, l- let me talk about gold as an asset class first and why I think this is the right time to be in gold. Um, I think with inflation at 7%, and in fact, I think it's well beyond that because the CPI numbers tend to exclude things from the basket that we all need, like food in our stomach, fuel in our cars, and a right. roof over our head. Inflation is decidedly in double-digit territory. It's not 7%. That, that number camouflages the reality of what we're spending every day to live. And so in that environment, you know, keeping your, your money in a bank account, earning nothing, in fact, is seeing a degradation of that capital because inflation eats away 7 8 9 10% a year because you're not getting any interest on that. And so I think gold um, is the one store of value that doesn't get eaten away by inflation. It protects your capital. And so if you believe in gold as an asset class and preserving capital, and I think gold has the potential to go well north of where we are now to $3,000 an ounce and beyond as people flee fiat currencies and look for ways to preserve their capital. I think the question you have to ask yourself is how do you best play gold to ensure that you get optimum leverage to that gold price. And, you know, there's a few ways to do it. You can buy physical gold and that's, that's a good thing to do. You can go to a bank and you can buy a gold bar or some coins, but of course you have to find a way to store it safely and cost effectively. And that's not easy. You know, you, if you have a safe, that's great, but it's not a guarantor of, of, you know, safety and, and um, security. But, you know, you can also buy the ETF on the New York Stock Exchange. It's physically backed by gold. It's a GLB. That's another way to play it. But, of course, that doesn't grow. Um, it, it doesn't benefit from any expiration. If you're in a mining company and you're exploring and growing their deposits geologically, you'll get that upside. You wouldn't get in physically owning gold or the GLD. Um, but, of course, when you're in a mining equity and you're buying a mining company, they're vulnerable to cost inflation as well. Their input costs are going up as our cost of living is going up. Right. And so that squeezes margins. And so I would say the royalty business actually provides you the best of all worlds because as a royalty owner, we only get a fixed percentage of the top line of the revenue. We're not exposed to the cost of the mine. Right. But when they produce an ounce of gold, we get one to 
of the value of that gold, regardless of what the cost structure in mind. So the cost structure can be inflating and we're insulated from that. And also our royalties, not only on the existing deposit, but if the operator finds more gold around that deposit through their exploration efforts, we get that upside as well on our royalty. So really it's the best of all worlds. It's leverage the gold price, leverage the expiration, but complete insulation we're operating capital cost inflation. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we come from a background where we believe in actually holding the physical gold, uh, but you made uh, a, a lot of, you know, legitimate cases for actually crypto <laughs> because storage and traveling along with it and things like that, you know, we got to go back crypto. But I did uh, do my homework and I know uh, your portfolio has over 200, you know, uh, royalties and 200 companies. Does that mean that you actually own royalties in 200 or up to 200 different companies? Well, it's 191 royalties and it's 191 distinct properties. Some of them are owned by, um, you know, some of our properties are owned by a single operator, uh, but we have a great diversified portfolio of operating partners. And that's really important. So we don't have reliance on any one operator. And so while diversified portfolio, 191 royalty, six are actually in production. So they're cash flowing. And that's allowed us to actually introduce our inaugural dividend this week. We're, we're uh, yielding just under 1% as a result of the initiation of that dividend. So that's a huge milestone for a company. It's only nine months old. We IPO'd in New York back in March. But also, uh, even though we're diversified, we have 75% of our portfolio by value in the two best gold jurisdictions in the world, Nevada and Quebec here in Canada. And those are the best as judged by mineral potential, low political risk, and low regulatory risk. These are very mature mining jurisdictions with still a lot of exploration potential. And that's what's exciting about being in those jurisdictions. They're, they are the best jurisdictions in the world in which to operate gold mines. So I did uh, notice that you are, you know, invested in Central America, South America, uh, as well as Canada and Nevada. Is there any opportunity outside of the Americas, you know, to other other countries, you know, with the deposits? Yeah, we're, we're actually, um, we've merged with three other companies over the course of, of 2020 to increase 2021, I should say, to vastly increase our portfolio. We started with 17 royalties when we IPO'd back in March and raised $90 million US. And then through mergers with Ely Gold, Golden Valley, and Abitibi royalties, they're all royalty companies. We went from 17 royalties to 191 royalties. And they're all exclusively in the Americas. And as I said, heavily concentrated in Quebec and Nevada. But recently, we launched a, uh, a uh, proposal to take over Elemental Royalties, which has royalties in Australia, another tier one jurisdiction, uh, an acknowledged gold district, and also one with low regulatory risk and low permitting risk. So that would complement our portfolio in the Americas. Um, and I would urge anybody that's interested in the prospects for that acquisition, proposed acquisition, please uh, look at the offering circular, uh, go onto our website, go on Edgar, uh, uh, the SEC website to look at the regulatory filings around that, that proposed merger. It's interesting that you brought up Elementor because that was one of my questions. I was going to ask you about that acquisition. And, you know, how does that look when you go out to uh, acquire a company and royalties in a company? And and I didn't know this was um, located in Australia. So that that's Elementor's exposure to markets outside the Americas. But could you how does that look? 
Well, look, I, I think what that speaks is the need for consolidation in the mining industry, and in particular in the royalty space, because there's been a proliferation of new entrants in the royalty space, and they're all quite small. You know, they don't have uh, market liquidity, they don't have access to low cost capital. And so I think it's important to have scale in our industry so that we have access to the capital markets, we can keep our cost of capital low so that we can be an effective provider of capital to the producers and developers that need our capital to fund construction of mines. And if you look at the landscape of the royalty industry, there's some really big companies, a, a small a small number of them. In fact, there's three, what I would call the category killers in our space, Franco Nevada, Wheat and Precious Metals, Royal Gold, based in Denver. Those are large cap companies. And then there's a proliferation of smaller cap companies, a billion dollars market cap or so, some of them quite a bit less than that. And, you know, they suffer from illiquidity. Uh, they don't have a lot of trading volume uh, and access to capital is a challenge for those smaller companies. Uh, our vision is to create a mid-tier company that's small enough to, uh, to grow, but big enough to matter. I think we could occupy that $5 billion market cap category where really there's nobody else there right now. That would be meaningful enough for large institutional investors to buy, but certainly small enough where any individual royalty acquisition we make really moves the needle and allows us to grow. And I think if we capture that void in the sector right now, we would get the best, best multiple and have the lowest cost of capital, which would make us very competitive for any royalty opportunity that comes, that comes our way. Absolutely. So what would you say, you know, the risk are right now uh, for, for royalty uh, companies? You know, I know that, you know, there's a finite amount of gold that we can mine and a lot of it is already up. Uh, so what, what, what risk do you see, if, if any? It's, it's getting deal flow. You know, at the end of the day, we're a provider of capital and getting uh, transactions, getting royalty transactions to continue to grow our business and perpetuate our cash flow and, and grow our cash flow so we can grow our dividend. That's the biggest risk. And that's why it's so important to have consolidation in, in the royalty space right now. There's too many royalty companies. And so we came in after our IPO with a vision to roll up some of our peer companies and create scale quickly. So we went from a $200 million market cap company when we launched our IPO back in March of last year and raised $90 million to now it's almost a $700 million US market cap company in less than nine months through the acquisition of some of our peer companies, creating that diversity in our portfolio, but importantly, creating that scale in the marketplace and liquidity so that it's, 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 uh, it's relevant to institutional and retail investors. And so I was also happy to, to read that your debt-free company that's right. We've kept our capital structure extremely simple. Um, we have almost $40 million of cash in the balance sheet, no debt, and we're generating enough cash flow that we can comfortably pay a dividend now. And that we think that dividend will grow over time as the seven mines that are in construction within our portfolio start to contribute cash flow over the coming years. So would you consider uh, people thinking about maybe buying um, a stock in, in your company on New York Stock Exchange, by the way, you can buy um, gold royalty corp on a stock exchange. So would you consider this early entry for people considering getting in the royalty space? I, I, absolutely. I, um, you know, our, our, it's trading symbol, by the way, on the NYSE is GROY, G-R-O-Y. So please watch the space and follow us. But, but it, yes, it is early days. I mean, we IPO'd at about $5 US per share. 
And we included a, a warrant or half warrant in the units when we issued that. So including the value of the warrants, which are publicly traded as well, our stock is up almost 10% since the IPO. And that's against the backdrop where the gold equities are down dramatically over the last year. So we've significantly outperformed our peers, uh, both in the royalty and producing space, uh, because we offer quality, diversity, low political risk, and significant growth in cash flow. Absolutely. So would you still, um, do you own actually physical gold as well? I mean, for people that still believe that physical gold is the way to go? I do personally, uh, but it's not part of our strategy at Gold Royalty to own physical gold. We have significant exposure through our royalty portfolio in the reserves underlying um, the operating companies that we're partnered with. Oh, great. Well, is there maybe a future, and I'll just put this out there, for a digitized version some kind of way that you leverage blockchain and the technology? That's inevitable. In fact, when I was running Gold Corp, we, we launched a digital currency that was physically backed by gold, uh, where the gold was stored at the Royal Canadian Mint in Ottawa and Canada. Um, and so that, that exists. And there are uh, financial players out there that are creating not only uh, digital currencies backed by gold, but by other commodities as well. Because I think uh, all of us want physical properties back in our currency. You know, I think a lot of people think back to the gold standard and reminisce about how that kept an anchor uh, on our currencies. And since the removal of the gold standard, what we've seen is a proliferation of fiat currencies, at reckless, you know, printing with reckless abandon and hyperinflation. We saw it in the 70s and we're seeing it again because there is no anchor uh, and, and no foundation to the fiat currencies that we have in the market right now. So where does inflation need to be before we consider hyperinflation? It's, uh, you know, double digits right now. Are they publishing 7.1? What, what does it need to be? I, I think we're there now. You know, to me, we're back to the double digit inflation we experienced in the 70s. We're seeing the shortages in the market. You know, we're seeing people line up at gas stations. We're seeing grocery shelves empty because it's difficult to get things to market because of bottlenecks. It, history may not repeat itself, but it's certainly rhyming. It's yeah. rhyming to what we saw in the 70s. We're seeing a lot of those things. And I, I was still relatively young in the 70s, but old enough to remember those types of shortages uh, that we're experiencing now. And I'm seeing it again. Uh, we, we are seeing a lot of similarities to what we saw back in the 70s when we saw gold rise to what was really the all-time high at the time. $8.50 an ounce in 1981 dollars is actually $3,000 an ounce in today's dollars. Right. So is that where gold needs to be? It, legitimately a 3,000 ounce right now? I think that's the starting point because I don't see any inclination for any of the central banks globally to actually take the foot off the gas in terms of money supply increases. They're talking about raising nominal rates a quarter point here, a quarter point there, but they're still expanding money supply. Mm -hmm. And with inflation galloping, real rates are actually still going south. They're going negative, deeply into negative territory because inflation's here for, for quite a few years. It's going to be quite a few years before higher interest rates start to tame that. And if you go back to what happened in the late 70s, Paul Volcker came in to run the Federal Reserve in 1979. He was an absolute hawk on inflation. He started to ratchet up interest rates, but the reality is we didn't see inflation tame for almost a decade. Right. Uh, you know, so that's the kind of runway we see for gold going up. So did, did you feel, I know Jerome Powell came out and said inflation was gonna be transitory, but uh, you know, I, I kind of laughed at that. <laughs> You know, because I saw the money printing and they don't even publish it anymore. You know, you can't even chart it anymore. Uh, but I, I saw what happened last year 
uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, how much money just 22%, you know, money supply increased this, we haven't seen that large of a jump in money supply forever since we started the U.S. dollar. No, we, look, it's, it's willful ignorance. I, I, look, there's nobody like Paul Volcker at the Federal Reserve right now. Uh, we don't have an inflation hawk. The Federal Reserve pays more attention to the level of the general equity markets than they do inflation statistics. They talk about balancing uh, low inflation with high, high employment, which means they need to keep the party going. They're going to continue to print. And so until there's a financial reckoning, a severe correction in the equity markets, you're not going to see the Federal Reserve start to get serious about inflation. They're going to keep their foot on the grass, foot on the gas, I think, for the foreseeable future. Wow, man. So, again, this message is going out to, you know, for at least the people to follow what we talk about here is that you need to diversify. You got to get out of cash into, into something that's going to sustain through uh, this inflation period. Do you, do you see this lasting more than a year? Oh, I think it'll be many years before we contain the inflation. This inflationary excess has been building up since the credit crisis 12 years ago. You know, when the central banks got together to stave off financial ruin, to keep the banks from collapsing, they just said, we're going to reinflate the economies and it hasn't stopped. And then it was amplified again when the COVID crisis hit, right? So this is, this is 12 years plus of excess introduced into the system and it can't be unwound in a year. It's going to be years and years of hawkish uh, attention to inflation. And that means really ratcheting up interest rates to double-digit territory and beyond, much as, as we saw back in the late 70s and 80s when Paul Volcker came in and really tied to tame inflation. Yeah, Nobody's doing that now. I just don't think they're willing to do it right now. Uh, no. I think everything is just so fragile. And uh, man, this is the one of the, you know, again, the reasons why we, we like crypto so much. Uh, because, you know, to us, the, the, the swings in crypto, I understand, and maybe it's not a store of value right now, but being able to do some of the things that we can do with NFTs, for example, uh, I actually have built my own crypto platforms and launched my own tokens and do all these different things. I just see it being a more streamlined way of doing business. And I and certainly understand that sentiment. I totally get uh, why, you know, newer investors, younger investors are doing this. You're looking for ways to preserve value in a very efficient way. And, and I, get, I get why the, the traction of cryptocurrencies and NFTs, but it's hard for me to say it's a store of value when you have the kind of volatility you have in the cryptocurrency market, when you can see a 40 to 50% swing in a day. You're going that's through that right store, now. That's not a store of value. It, that, that's, that's the issue. And, and so... It's a roller coaster. And, and so I just say, uh, I'm not saying avoid digital currencies. I totally understand the sentiment and the reason they're doing it. But I'd say, hey, diversify a little bit. Take gold. Gold's been the currency it's been for 4,000 years for a reason. It's got physical properties. It's globally recognized as a currency. Every central bank in the world has gold in their reserves. Uh, many, many wealthy people have a portion of their portfolio allocated to gold 10, 20, 30% to protect and store value in the face of rising inflation, which is insidious and eats away at your capital. Absolutely. I'm in the mind though that I think Bitcoin and, and gold can coexist, you know, and serve, serve a specific purpose. It's not either or, but I would just say that it's it's horses for courses. You know, you, 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 you when you're looking for less volatility and security, 
you'll want to own gold. Um, but cryptocurrencies are here. They're going to be integral to our economy. But I, what I would say is I believe the central banks are going to domesticate digital currencies. There's you know, Digital currencies are a bit of the Wild West right now. And they're basically taking responsibility for fiat currency away from central banks. Central banks will not allow that to happen in the long term. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're going to digitize their own currencies and start to capture some of that market share back. Absolutely. Well, you know, again, I, I'm a proponent of, of anything, you know, tied to gold, uh, gold back cryptocurrencies. Uh, would you think we may ever see countries, you know, back their fiat again with metals? Maybe maybe not gold, maybe silver, maybe something else. Yeah, look, like it's happening now. It, 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 what's interesting is China, which is the biggest exporter of manufactured goods in the world and deals with an avalanche of export proceeds. They are as quickly as they can buying gold for their central bank reserves. China is the biggest producer of gold in the world as a country, but none of their gold leaves the shores of China. It stays in country and they not only consume all the gold they produce, they import. So they're rapidly diversifying out of paper into hard currency like gold. And they're, they're obviously big consumers of, of hard commodities like copper and zinc and nickel because they're rapidly urbanizing their economy and bringing people from uh, the countryside into the urban centers. And that's very metal intensive. And like us, they want to electrify their economy and, and have more electric vehicles. And that's hugely copper intensive and nickel intensive and battery metal intensive. The world needs mining in order to decarbonize. And China is going to be leading uh, the world in that regard. So is there opportunity uh, for gold royalty to maybe uh, start a portfolio for rare earths and other types of metals? Metals. We'll stay focused on precious metals because I think it's been demonstrated time and again, the precious metal royalty companies get the, the best multiples if they stay focused on precious metals. And I would say the battery metals market is extremely niche or niche and, and small, and it's hard to break in. There are very few players that actually produce it and very few players that actually consume it. And it's very difficult to be uh, an effective player in that space unless you're a government agency, um, uh, you know, a sovereign wealth fund. It's, it's very difficult to break in. Okay. And look, one last question. Going back to Elementor, uh, the Elementor acquisition, I, I was reading the slide deck and uh, I saw the benefit for the Elementor stockholders right now. H how would that uh, translate for uh, the uh, gold royalty uh, stockholders? Uh, with that acquisition, I know it's going to be another company in the portfolio, but do you anticipate any type of stock bounce from that? Look, look we, we see a lot of benefit in consolidation generally in the space. It creates scale. It creates access to capital. It lowers the cost of capital as you achieve scale. Um, but I, like, I'd urge uh, you to read the offering documents. Read. Um, we have a slide deck that you correctly pointed out that's registered with the SEC, and that I think very effectively communicates the benefits to both elemental shareholders and gold royalty shareholders of doing that merger. And uh, I have to leave it at that. Otherwise, my lawyers might might uh, put me in handcuffs. <laughs> I know, absolutely. That was probably a bad question for me to ask. Without no, no, it's it's quite all right. But I again. I, I, strongly urge investors to look at those offering documents filed with the SEC on Edgar uh, to get all the information you need to make the right decisions. Absolutely. And I will leave links uh, to the uh, Gold Royalty site uh, and you could go out and, and download and read and research. And that's what you know our audience normally does. They take this information and they go out and ingest it. And uh, that's what we do. We're a, uh, a group that shares great information 
Mr. Garofalo, and you have provided some great information tonight. <laughs> well, thanks, Rico. This is a really good interview. Thanks for, for being so prepared and, and peppering me with the right questions. It, it, it was a very easy conversation to have. Well, feel free to come back anytime you'd like. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. And this has been another episode of Gold Standard Movement and the GSG Global YouTube channel. Good night. Have a great night.